Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. Hi, this is David Spray, and today's guest on Podcasting Stories is Kyle Hannon. Kyle has a really interesting background. Uh, He runs a podcast for the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants, and I was fortunate enough to be a guest on his podcast a few weeks ago. He has a really interesting perspective because uh, he's a non-American who has lived in uh, Africa and Europe and the UK, and he's also the most experienced podcaster who I've ever interviewed. He's uh, been a host or co-host on over 500 podcasts, and he's been involved in the production of another 300 more. So he has a lot of great perspectives and insights on what it takes to have a successful podcast and some other learnings that he's had from that. So I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Hello, this is David Spray, and welcome to Podcasting Stories. My guest today is Kyle Hannon. Kyle is a corporate web event and podcast specialist with the world's largest professional association for the finance and accounting sector. He is a media project manager with over 30 years of international community and commercial broadcast audio experience at all levels. Kyle received the Rothschild Fellowship in Social Enterprise and Cross-Cultural Networking, and he also attended the Social Enterprise Executive Education Programs at both Columbia Business School in New York and the ESSEC Business School in Paris. He was also the founder and managing director of a 10-year-old social enterprise. Kyle is a media and marketing advisor for charities and a presenter of several podcasts for internal marketing as well as external client white label purposes. Kyle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, David. So where are you calling in from today? Uh, a slightly cloudy seaside resort town of Western Supermare. That's um, it's an old name, which means basically Western on the sea. It's in the county of North Somerset. For those people who know uh, what England looks like, uh, it's just south of the city of Bristol in the west of England. And if you've ever heard of the what we think is the world's biggest and best annual music festival, the uh, the Glastonbury Music Festival, we're about forty five minutes drive from there. And um, oh, I'm okay. actually talking, yeah, and I'm I'm talking to you from my home office because, like so many of us at the moment, I haven't actually been to my office. I'm I'm normally based uh, at the ARCPA's office in central London, in the in like our equivalent of Wall Street, which is called the City of London. Um, but right at the moment, I'm not doing too badly. I'm five minutes from the beach. So uh, I can generally walk down to the beach. I can look across the Bristol Channel. I can see the Welsh capital, Cardiff, about 13 miles away on the opposite shore. Um, and if, awesome. if I had to think, yeah. And I think if, if people look up Western Supermare, they might discover it's, it's known for three things. It's the home of Monty Python star John Cleese, as well as the former politician and author Geoffrey Archer. And also it's well known for the mud that stretches away into the distance when the tide goes out, which is what gives it its kind of slightly unkind nickname, Western Super Mud. But, you know, we, we love it here. <laughs> we love it that, here. Um, that's awesome. You, uh, uh, that's a long ways from where you grew up, right? 
Uh, actually, that's very true. But this place also feels very much like home from home for me because by coincidence, um, where I am is about an hour from where one of my grandmothers was born. She used to be an innkeeper's daughter in a tiny little village not too far away. So Somerset, this county, really is kind of a home from home for me. But you're quite right. I was actually born in South Africa. So my home city is Cape Town. I was born in a hospital on the slopes of Table Mountain, um, where the very first um, heart transplant operation was conducted. Uh, oh, really? Yep. And uh, then I grew up in uh, Cape Town, Johannesburg, and then uh, what was then Rhodesia. So in the second city called Bulawayo, um, in the country that's now known as Zimbabwe. And Bulawayo, by the way, uh, originally uh, in the local Ndebele language, um, which is something I learned to speak at, at junior school, uh, means the place of slaughter. So, uh, yeah, that, that is where I grew up. Oh, wow. Yeah, there, uh, there's quite a number of golfers that uh, have come from uh, those two countries. I know uh, you've got Nick Price from Zimbabwe, and then all yes. the famous South African golfers, starting with Gary Player and yeah, yes. through to several others. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, so, it's it's a sport that – one of the strange things is it's um, it's a country that is so, so much in love with sports, and you'll know yourself from, from parts of the U.S. If you've got good weather, you can you – can you can make good sports happen. Um, and it's, it's something that, you know, I do find myself missing the sunshine sometimes because of that. Sure. I can imagine. Well, let's go back to the beginning of your, or what I believe is close to the beginning of your career. Sure. Let's go way back to 1990. Let's take the time machine back to 1990. Right. Uh, where were you and what significant uh, recognition did you receive that year in relation to the broadcasting uh, uh, activities? Uh, 1990, I was in my fourth year of university. I started university in 1986 in the uh, the little city of Grahamstown in, in the Eastern Cape province of South Africa. So I was about four years into that. I just finished my um my first degree, so that would have been my my Bachelor of Arts, and I was um also reaching the end of my um kind of fourth year as part of the uh campus radio station. And it was in that year in 1990 that I won the national campus DJ competition. So in 1990-91, uh there was this national competition that required us to all the, the campus radio DJs in the country had to submit audition tapes. And then as part of uh, the competition, we had to play in dance clubs and we had to present radio shows. And finally, in the final, play to a stadium of, uh, of probably about 8,000 people in front of this kind of massive four or five story high pyramid shaped light show. It was fun. So oh, I won wow. that. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was quite good. Um, uh, I think most importantly, as I said, I was also running the campus radio station, which was called Rhodes Music Radio. Um, and that was in, in Grahamstown, which is like South Africa's equivalent of the, of the city of Edinburgh in Scotland, because we had okay. a, a very famous national uh, cultural festival. And that year, 1990, we launched an initiative that ended up making uh, newspaper headlines around the world for something called Festival FM. And that was reported to be the first time in almost 50 years that the old South African government's monopoly on broadcasting had been broken because they had been the only permitted broadcaster in South Africa since 1948. Um, wow. So that's probably the thing that I'm, I'm proudest of, but I, I, I think I'm a little less proud of the fact that I was at the time also under surveillance by this old South African government security services. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. I, 
I think a troublemaker, uh, a troublemaker. Well, huh? a I think, huh? but it's all because of radio, uh, you know, because people always think, well, radio is just great and it never gets you into trouble. But um, it did a bit because I think they saw me as a threat to law and order because our radio station was where um, all the pro democracy protests happening on campus at the time, they used to hire the PA system from us. And I think the security services were always seeing me hanging around behind the scenes at all these different protest events. Um, that were making the old government very uncomfortable, which I think they deserved to be. But I think they seemed to think I was some kind of covert political operative when it, I think the only oh, thing wow. I was I was operating on was the PA system. So, yeah, that, that was what was going on then. <laughs> wow. Well, that's uh, uh, what an interesting time to be uh, to be uh, cutting your, your teeth in the uh, broadcasting world, huh? It was, yeah. So uh, let's now kind of fast forward a bit. So what brought you to the UK and what year was that? Well, um, after having, you know, done all that stuff in 1990, I then um, moved to a city uh, which many people would think was in the UK, a city called East London. That's actually a a city on the Indian Ocean coast of South Africa. And I'd been... I'd been um, give, given the chance there to set up a new independent radio station. So that was the reason that I uh, left university. So I left halfway through my master's in international studies and moved to this city, this coastal city called East London. Um, and, uh, you know, that's what took me into the big wide world of radio. Um, and then I was doing that. I worked for our equivalent to the BBC for a number of years. Um, and then in about 2002, um, my wife and I, who'd, we'd been living and working in the Far East for a number of years. Um, we were about to move to Japan, but then one of my younger brothers, because I'm, I'm the oldest of six, he became seriously ill. He was living in the UK. So we decided to move here instead to be closer to him. Fortunately, he is still around, and, and now so are we. Awesome. And what year was that? That was 2002. 2002. Yeah. Excellent. Do you remember the year that you first uh, listened to a podcast? I first, I used to listen to a lot of stuff. um, And I do remember the first podcast. And I had, I was always a bit of a, a gadget person. And I remember in 1990, about 1999, I got, I don't know if you remember these things called Palm Pilots. Yes. And uh, at the time, you didn't have connectivity like we have in on cell phones and mobile phones today. What you had to get was this Palm Pilot, which is like this digital personal digital assistant, and you had to connect it via data cable to your computer. And your computer used to download um, things like early podcasts or web page updates. And then you would actually have to then synchronize it with your Palm Pilot. And then you could put that in your pocket and listen to stuff that you'd synced and downloaded. So even before the days of an iPod, which you also had to sync um, right. I was doing that kind of stuff. So I would occasionally download MP3s or whatever they were encoding in, in, in that way and then sit with this bulky thing in my pocket uh, listening to, to audio files. But at that stage, there were no podcast directories as we know them today. So you had to kind of manually know where to go and get them and download the files. I see. 
And uh, so then I guess once the first uh, podcast came out, you were probably uh, an early listener to those as well. Actually, bizarrely, I wasn't. Okay. And I think, Tell uh, me. I think yeah, I think that's because um, I, I have never been a Apple user. I've never had an iPod. I've never had an iPhone. Uh, I've always been interested in things which are a little more customizable, a little ah, less kind of I locked see. in. So I was always, um, and also, I, the stuff was really expensive. So I never got into when Apple launched its iPod, which I think they added podcasts to the iTunes directory in about 2006. Um, I just never had that as part of my world. I was always getting my my podcast in, 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 in other ways, listening to them online or, um, mm. you know, downloading them on. I mean, I had old Windows phones rather than iPhones, and there were other ways you can get hold of that. Um, but I wasn't I really listening to a lot at that time. Okay. Do you remember what year you did your first, um, uh, and I'm calling it a podcast, but I really mean it more generically, you know, as a, uh, an audio recording that could be downloaded to a, you know, a mobile device. Uh, yes, that actually, that's a good, yeah. Um, probably about 2008. Um, and you, you're quite right. It may not have been a direct podcast, but, um, I was managing a, project at that time in in the city of bristol here in the uk now that was the world's first radio service run by jews and muslims and it was called radio salam shalom we were online only but it was back then in about 2008 2009 that we started making recordings of shows um, available for download too now as you've just mentioned they weren't strictly podcasts um but they could have been if we decided to put them on things like the Apple Podcast or the iTunes directory at the time, which, which had launched a couple of years beforehand. But, um, you know, the experience I think was very similar to today. We had to think about the right kind of cover art, even though we were embedding them and putting them on our website. Um, we still had to edit for a different kind of learning experience. Um, we had to make sure we took out the music or things we didn't have permission to include and download. So it, it was very similar to, to making a podcast and people could download and listen to them straight off the web page, but you couldn't get them off the podcast directories at the time. So that was about 2008. Okay. So since then, so that's been roughly 13 years ago, uh, how many podcasts would you say you've participated in, either as a host or a guest? Is it uh, hundreds? Are you thousands? are you are you counting also as editor? Because that's kind of that's participating. Uh, no. Why don't we carve that out? How about if we answer them as two different questions? Okay. Um, as host or co-host, probably close to five hundred. As editor, probably another three hundred or so. Okay. So you've had a bit more experience than, uh, than one of the uh, stats I was reading recently said that uh, of the active podcast, uh, most of those have not published a new episode in 90 days. And of the ones who have published an episode, uh, most of those have not broken the 10 episode barrier. So I'd say you're uh, you're well past the uh, 10 episode beginner uh, level, eh? Yeah, um, but that was because they were different shows I was involved in, and you're you're absolutely right. the The thing to do if you're doing something and you're getting the right kind of help, and 
you're not trying to do everything by yourself. It is easier to to keep that 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 wheel spinning um, with with the right kind of help. So I think yes, you're right. There, there is a big issue with many of today's podcasts putting out maybe one or two test episodes because these days it's so much easier. But then never really keeping going. I think they say there's something like um, yeah, as you say, about seven to ten is is how I think is the first. Um, watershed that people get to. Many podcasts drop off then, and, and then I think about 25 or 30. But yeah, you're, you're right. Um, these days, so many podcasts are available, but not all of them are, are publishing regularly. And, and speaking of, uh, of regular publishing, I suspect you're also a regular listener. Uh, is that true? And uh, how many podcasts <laughs> do you listen to a week? Um, uh, probably... I listen to about 50 a week. Oh, wow. Even though I'm, I I'm subscribed to more. I thought I was an avid listener. I'm probably only <laughs> at the 20 per week. Uh, a lot of the ones I listen to are quite short, so that does make it a bit easier. But yeah, okay. I would say, I would say, yeah, about 50 a week. That's, that's awesome. So you, uh, so I would say of all the guests I've ever interviewed, you certainly not only have you produced more episodes, but you also listen. You're a more prolific uh, listener as well. So this is a so this is a treat to really have somebody who has familiarity with with both sides of the mind. <laughs> well, put it this way: I'm very glad you're not asking me about what I do for hobbies and outdoor pursuits because I think if <laughs> if I had uh, if I had left myself more time to actually get out and about rather than sit in and and listen to podcasts, um, then I think. You know, don't talk to me about my sporting skills because <laughs> those are very underdeveloped. But I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, if I wanted to go out and about, I could be listening to probably even more podcasts while I'm doing that too. It's a great thing about them. That that is. Um, so, from your perspective, where do you think we are in the podcast growth cycle? Has it plateaued? Um, is it on a down? Is it is it? Uh, so, what are your thoughts? Where are we on the podcast cycle? Uh, okay. Well, if you think about, I would say probably the big thing is it's, it's definitely reached the mainstream now because up until a few years ago, you always used to have to explain to, to most people what a podcast was. Right. But these days you don't have to do that anymore. Most people have heard of podcasting. Most people who've heard of it, uh, know how to listen to it. And that's because just in the last couple of years, all the main music streaming platforms, uh, Spotify, Deezer, Pandora, uh, Amazon Music, are now supporting podcasting. So where you're listening to your music, you're able to get your podcasts. And just, uh, I think, a month or two ago, Facebook have now um, introduced support for podcasts natively inside Facebook itself. I mean, they had done that in the past, but this is the first time that um, they've tried it again in this kind of really well-integrated way. And they're doing that in partnership with Spotify. So I think that's a big thing. So has it plateaued? Absolutely not. It has never grown um, based on, on what I'm hearing. It's never grown uh, as fast as it's growing at the moment. So okay. yeah, plenty more to come, I think. Okay. Um, yeah, no, and I, I, I would agree. I just, I wanted to get your um, perspective on that. What do you, th what is it about podcasting or podcasts that make it such a unique and uh, 
you know, a historically rare form of content? Well, I think it's it's a combination of things. You've got to look at where podcasting started. Podcasting started because people wanted to start making media for themselves that they could make freely available to pretty much anyone who wanted it. And because podcasting, unlike radio, um, because I compare it to when I used to work in radio, which is very tightly regulated, like you know uh, a lot of the um, kind of commercial broadcasters, you have to follow certain rules. You have to take into account uh, legislation or compliance, etc. Podcasting is not subject to those. So it started from a place of, of free speech, of independence, making your own media, taking out the middleman. Um, so there's the. I think that at the heart of podcasting, it's not been driven by commercial imperatives. It's been driven by um, something more creative, something a little bit more. I suppose what people would call yeah independent free thinking and innovative um and if you think about where we are now I mean we're just I think we've just hit the 4 million podcasts mark so it's never grown as fast as it has now but um so there's a tremendous what what makes podcasting special is there's there's a tremendous choice there are so many different podcasts about almost anything under the sun and I think that's also something that makes it a little um, confusing because you may find so many podcasts which are claiming to be focused on a topic that you particularly like, any particular kind of niche, but you may find that someone started making it because it's easier these days, but because they didn't have the right kind of help, it may have been that it became too difficult for them or they suddenly didn't have the time to do it. So you'll often find that some of those podcasts which seem to be so interesting um, don't have more than a couple of episodes. So I think that is the thing that makes it special um, is the thing that can sometimes make it a little confusing. Um, but I think the, big, the, big, the biggest thing about podcasting is we can always take it with us. You're not looking at a screen all the time. You can just put it in your pocket and you can stream or download the episode of choice. You can um, listen to almost anything you like um, and you can still be doing other things, very much like radio. But the thing is you're listening to the, if you think about radio, you've got all the songs which you've heard before, but if you've got a, a presenter who's a personality, you hear them in between the songs, right? Um, right? So if you actually think about it, it's the bits in between the songs, excluding the adverts, that keep you listening. In podcasting, um, it's all the bits in between the songs. It's all the stuff that generally would keep you listening. So you're much more engaged. You're likely to listen for longer because it's not always packed with adverts. You're not going to be skipping or switching off all the time. So I think it also from the advertising perspective or the sponsorship perspective, I think podcasting means that you're reaching a much more engaged, uh, actively um, active listener. So there's, and, and everyone can do it because everyone's got a device in their pocket, which can access all podcasts almost. So I think that makes it incredibly special. Yep. I, uh, I would agree. It's uh, I started my first podcast a couple of years ago, and it, I always tell people it's the favorite part of my week is um, interviewing somebody for one of my podcasts. It's really a yeah. uh, it's a amazingly uh, it's it, the, the freedom and creative aspect is really uh, is really special. So. Uh, w- uh, Let's uh, let's go back just a bit to your background. Uh, hmm. I'd like to go back to 2018. Right. There seems to be something special that about 2018 because it seems like you uh, 
you uh, embarked on a number of things all you know in the same year. Uh, was there something special about 2018, or did you uh, you know, uh, or did was it just coincidence? Uh, no, but you know, if you look back on things, it actually did seem like a year that I was doing a lot of stuff because, as you mentioned, I had been running my own social enterprise, and that was a non-profit called the Ecomedia Collective. And I'd been running that since 2010 after I'd um, been uh, on this Rothschild scholarship to Columbia Business School and, and ESSEC in Paris. Um, and that set me on a path to to really try to work with charities and, and social purpose organizations who were trying to make their own media. And I loved podcasting. So I wanted to help as many people discover it and make use of it as I could. And doing all of these things um, you know, presented incredible opportunities to learn and deploy a lot of different skill sets. And after a couple of years, I started realizing that I was seeing the things I could do appearing in a lot of very interesting looking job adverts. And, you know, as podcasting was becoming more and more mainstream towards, you know, 2017, 2018, I started seeing more podcast related jobs. And I, I then thought, okay, well, there's an opportunity to use my skills for, uh, you know, larger, better resourced and, and, and forward thinking enterprises. And I thought that was really appealing. You know, if you get the opportunity to do something you love um, to reach more people and, and make it something that they enjoy, then I, I thought, how can you say no to that? So I started looking at these opportunities. I started taking the, the opportunities a lot more seriously applied for a, a few of the jobs I saw advertised, and, and here I am. Wow. And one of them uh, was uh, when you joined the AICPA. And yes. In fact, you were kind enough to uh, invite me to, to be a guest on your podcast uh, Indeed, a few yes. ago. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was quite enjoyable. Although I must say, I wish <laughs> I had had you as a guest first, because uh, <laughs> uh, I really feel like an amateur compared to your uh, background. And so in some ways it was kind of a hard act to follow. I felt like I, I had to raise my bar as a host, having been, having seen, uh, uh, true, uh, professionalism in, uh, in action. That's, that's very nice of you to say so. But the thing is, you know, if you do something, uh, a lot, like, like a sportsman or someone who eats pizza, um, <laughs> you know, you pizza. find you get better at it. <laughs> you really do. Thank you. That is, that is true. So, um, uh, the uh, can can we talk a bit just about what uh, attracted you to the uh, opportunity with the, the AICPA? Oh, sure. Um, I, I saw the the role advertised as a podcast specialist. Um, it was advertised. They'd started a podcast series that they wanted to deliver along you know, best practice lines. Um, and so I, I joined them as a podcast specialist. And the interesting thing about them, and while I'm here in a personal capacity, I'm not speaking, you know, on their behalf or representing them in any way, um, I discovered that they've got several other podcasts, uh, podcasts that they've been running several other shows. And this was something that I thought made it clear that they weren't trying out something new. They weren't just dipping a toe in the water they were already using podcasts. So I knew that there would be a lot of people just as interested, just as passionate about it as I was already there. And, you know, when you're working with, with like-minded people, you know, how can you say no? Sure. 
And uh, the podcast that you host weekly, hmm. uh, what is the name of that podcast? Uh, that's called the Go Beyond Disruption podcast. And it really is all about the, I suppose, the interface of technology and human technologies, uh, sorry, of technology and human intelligence uh, and, and ways that it's disrupting the global finance and accounting profession. So we talk to people from inside that profession who have perspectives and insights can, that can really help anyone who's in business. So they, um, you know, we have a, a good global audience and we talk to interesting people who know a lot more about this kind of thing than I do. But that's the lovely thing. I almost represent, you know, the listener in a conversation with an expert. And um, and it's something we've been doing every week for about three years and, and, and still really enjoying it. Yeah. And I'm curious, did, did that, was that podcast in existence before you joined or did you uh, launch that? Uh, no, that was in existence just before I joined, because as you know, good practice for, for many people means putting out a couple of episodes um, and having them ready to go. And then when you launch, you've already got something in the can, so to speak. And that had been put together by a number of um, colleagues. Uh, they had come up with the idea. They had created the first few episodes and that was already online. And they said, right, now that this, you know, this sports car is on the road, uh, let's yeah. see who we can put in the driver's seat just to keep it, uh, you know, keep it going and maybe put, put metal to the floor, um, if possible. Uh, and that's where I joined. Okay. And do you, uh, is your involvement with the, um, the different podcasts, is it limited just to the, uh, go beyond disruption podcast, or do you also, uh, have any uh, participation in the other podcasts? Uh, the, the association is really, uh, very, um, I would say they're very supportive of all the different podcast makers across our multimedia teams. And I work uh, alongside them with many of their other podcasts. We all contribute our knowledge, our expertise, best practices that we pick up because they do podcasts for all sorts of reasons, some to support some of their uh, printed publications, some of their online websites. So they've got about uh, eight or nine different shows that they put out for various communities of interest and also to to focus on different um, different parts of the profession. And, you know, the number of people who get together on a regular basis and, and brainstorm and talk about things we've learned and, and things we're hearing from inside the industry and, and trying new things out. So there's a, there's a group of us who regularly get together and say, you know, here's what we think we could try. Here are some things that we think would be exciting that would kind of super serve our listening, our listening communities and our audiences. Uh, and, and we work on that. So we all work together very, very effectively from, from different uh, parts of the association. Okay. It sounds like a very, uh, a very collegial environment uh, with, with that group. Of well, others. you know yourself, it's easy, it's easy to, to be collegial. It's easy to, share with people who you know almost like sponges you're always keen to hear from other people um about how you can get more out of something it's like going to a, a concert and you know you're standing in the audience with a whole bunch of, of fans of the same band you're all going to find yourself dancing <laughs> and that's the bit right. i like you will love the same tunes that is great uh what are some of the things you enjoy most about having a, a regular podcast um, I would, I would say meeting and interviewing people who know a lot more about certain 
parts of the world, the business world, than, than, than I do. And I think that is also um, coupled with the, the variety of people you'll speak to uh, is, is quite something. Because when someone says, I'm keen to be a guest on the podcast, you will generally find yourself talking to guests who are innovators, who are thought leaders, who are influencers. These are people that are absolutely at the top of their game. And it's always inspiring to talk to people like that. And uh, that, I think, is one of the things I, I enjoy the most. The variety and the, um, the in inspiring um, variety. It's not just variety, but it's the inspirational variety. They're there because they did something first or because they have a unique insight or perspective on something. And, and that's great. It's, uh, it keeps me thinking, too. Yeah, I, I, can, uh, I would echo those, those thoughts. I've... Uh... I've, I've found the, the same thing. It's, uh, uh, it's really interesting to have people who have, have had some success in their chosen field and to, to kind of hear their story. So um, given your 30 plus year broadcasting career, uh, what advice would you give to someone who is considering launching their first podcast? Um, well, if I think about what people's misgivings are, I would say you have to remember that people already like the sound of your voice. Because I know so many people worry about the fact that, oh, I don't like hearing myself back. I don't like the way I sound. Why are people going to listen to me? The thing is, you've got friends and family who hear you every day, who like talking to you every day, who like socializing with you, they already like the sound of your voice. That's the voice everyone in the world apart from you already know and like. So you're already ahead of the game. Don't worry about doing anything other than just doing it. People already like what you sound like. That is really great, a great insight because I've shared with people that that you know, most people do not like the sound of their own voice because when they hear it, as the rest oh. of the world hears it, it sounds differently. But I like the way you uh, position it. it. It has a more positive uh, slant to it that that people already like the sound of your voice. Yeah. So that's that's actually at least that's what they. Well, that's <laughs> if that's what everyone is telling you. Um, just think about when last did you sit down in a group and someone said, oh, no, don't don't join our conversation. We don't like what you sound like. It has never <laughs> happened. Never. Sure. Sure. Uh, any other uh, advice you might have for somebody uh, starting uh, a podcast or considering starting? Uh, yeah, I think um, don't start by thinking about it as a money making or influence building thing. Don't do it because everyone else is doing it. Do it because you have something to share. All right. So many people, I think, are coming to it because everyone is talking about podcasting. They're coming and are going, well, the first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to put a podcast together. Then I'm going to get advertising. Then I'm going to leave my day job. Uh, that doesn't happen, uh, you know, at least not for a couple of years. Um, before you get value back, you have to start giving value. Um, understand what it is that represents your insight your perspective and and celebrate it and share it but 
don't expect to get paid for it right from the start. And, you know, so many podcasters and the way that podcasting started, most people started as hobbyists. Um, you know, and the fact that there's so much commercialization of podcasting at the moment uh, doesn't mean that that's the only reason to get into it. Mm-hmm. No, that, that is, is excellent uh, advice. I, I appreciate that. Um, well, as we're rounding the home stretch here, uh, what do you wish you'd known back in 1990? And I don't just mean from podcasting, but just life. Uh, what do you wish the 31 year younger version of Kyle would? What do you wish you'd known back then? Um, ah, you've actually made me think about uh, an old photograph of our old um, campus radio committee, uh, which which some friends of mine shared just just a couple of days ago. Um, in which I I appeared with this tremendous hairstyle, and I th- as as a shaven headed bloke, I, I shave my head every day um, now. I think what I wish I'd known back in 1990 is that in future I wouldn't always have to worry about what my hair looks like. So I think that's <laughs> probably it. <laughs> so maybe you would have been less concerned about uh, your hair appearance back then if you knew that it was uh, just a temporary phase of your life to to have hair hair care to concern yourself with. Yeah, that that would have been great. Yes, I, I could have saved myself a fortune in shampoo. That's that's definitely true. Though I do spend a lot in shaving foam. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a, a famous uh, there's a story that that uh, uh, I told my wife before. Uh, it was a story that happened before I met her, and she really didn't enjoy the lesson. And and the the short version, I'd. Um, uh, in the middle of the summer in Houston, Texas, hot, steamy. I'd, I'd uh, had a late night the night before and went out for a run to uh, just to kind of you know clear my head and clear my pores. And uh, after I'd finished, a, a buddy called and suggested I stop by this uh, uh, this pub for a drink. He had some friends in from town, and I indicated that I was dressed inappropriately and and not really uh, at the height of where my personal hygiene and hair care might need to be, but he convinced me to stop by anyway. And, and so I had to put some dry clothes on and I literally found some, uh, they were effectively rags in the trunk that, uh, but, but could still function as, uh, as clothing. So I, I changed in the parking lot, <laughs> went in and uh, felt very self-conscious because I was, uh, not, uh, you know, in the most presentable state and I was dressed like a, a homeless person. And uh, we sat at their table, and as I had a few drinks and was feeling better uh, and less self-conscious, uh, I noticed that there was a very attractive young lady at the table that was the friend of uh, one of the sisters, who, or one of the friend's sisters, or one of the guy's sisters. And she was there, and all the other gentlemen were all, you know, seeking her attention. And so I just was at the other end of the table, and I really thought, you know, this isn't a game I can win uh, by any means. Right. I don't have my a game. Shall we say, well, about an hour in, she walked to the, uh, to the end of the table and she sat down and introduced herself. And she said, I just had to meet the man who was so self-confident that he could show up to a trendy bar like this, dressed like a homeless man. And, uh, and we had, we had quite a nice chat and, and, uh, I was probably in my early thirties then. And my takeaway then was that the external appearance really mattered far less than I always imagined it did. And so I, thus I put less weight on my uh, appearance and, you know, my hair being perfectly coiffed 
And, uh, and so anyway, so my wife hates this story because she had wished that I had not learned that uh, lesson before I met her. So, ah, so that was her. That's how you met her. No, no, it was not my wife, but but years later I had shared the story with her and she didn't appreciate the lessons that I'd learned. She, she wished I'd not learned those lessons and had continued (laughs) to be more concerned about my appearance. (laughs) Well, I think both of what that, that, and uh, and the thing I wish I'd known back in 1990, you know, not worrying about my hairstyle, I think what that both tells us is that we we have the perfect appearance to be on radio or podcasts. <laughs> we do. We do. Well, is there anything that I did not ask you that you wish I had? Um, that doesn't involve hair. <laughs> uh, Any subject you like. Well, I, 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 let's stick to podcasting. Um, you can ask. Well, you haven't asked me what my favorite podcast is. Oh, yeah. Um, I tell you what, let me think a minute. Uh, Hey, Kyle, what's your favorite podcast? Dave, thank you so much for asking. Uh, Well, I think it depends on on the day. Um, If I I look at my podcast app at the moment, and I look at the three that I'm listening to today, um, one of them is the podcast put out by a, um, a podcast experts guy called james cridland it's called pod news that's daily it's just about two and a half three minutes long so that's not very long so that's an easy listen um the other is a daily podcast by the guardian newspaper here in the uk called today in focus uh, which is also incredibly interesting uh, really good journalism um and then the third one is one called mzanzi deep um and that's a podcast put together by a um clubhouse music dj who is originally from my city uh cape town in south africa and it is kind of deep house music with a very african or south african sensibility and uh yeah so mzanzi deep that's what i listen to uh loudly when my brain is switched on and my feet are switched on um but for brain food uh, Pod News and also The Guardian's Today in Focus. So I picked three. Oh, there you go. Well, I must say, I, those are not, none of those are on my regular listening list. Uh, but there is one I listen to that has an English host. And I, as I think of it, that's the only non American host. And it's called Cautionary Tales uh, with Tim, uh, uh, his name starts with an H, Herford. Have you ever? I, uh, I have never it? heard of this podcast. No. Um, why do you like it? It's it's very educational because he tells uh, historical stories that have uh, that have uh, kind of lessons of you know caution that one uh, you know just examples of things to be uh, uh, cautious of. One of the stories was a doctor, a physician who made house calls, who was actually killing his patients on purpose, like he was murdering them. And nobody figured it out because they thought um, that he just happened to arrive right before the person died. And uh, so the, the cautionary tale was about the importance of connecting the dots, that, that nobody ever connected the dots and asked themselves the question, you know, what's the probability that this one doctor would have so many young patients dying of uh, a drug overdose and they would die just minutes before he arrived. Uh, uh, so, uh, and I like how the way he pronounces cautionary. Uh, you know, I uh, 
in the states we always call it cautionary so it makes me feel a bit more cosmopolitan huh. now that i'm i'm going to look that up because it, it reminds me i remember when when i was growing up um there was a, a cautionary tales for um kids um and there was a, a i think it was originally from german there was a, germany um there was a, a character called Peter. Um, and that was uh, very grim cautionary tales for kids. And uh, if this is anything like those, that podcast is about to get a new fan. So thank you very much. So cautionary tales by Tim Hartford, did you it say? Starts with I'll an H. Up. I don't yeah. remember, but I'll uh, look it up. Thank you very much. And it's part of one of the uh, networks, or, or not, or you know, one of the podcasting groups. That's Wait. how I came to learn of it. I can't think of. What Thank you. So uh, the other see, question, I learned something. See there, there you go. And then, of course, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. You probably have some familiarity with that revision uh, history. Yes, absolutely, amazing stuff. Yeah, he is. Uh, he is good. So the the last question, just to to. Uh, I'm curious, uh, how many languages do you have any familiarity with? Probably four. Okay. Um, why? So, oh, I, I was just is, is there going to be a test? I'm hoping not. No, you no, didn't no. tell me that. <laughs> you go, right, no, that... translate this. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Just, you know, as an American, I'm I'm just cognizant of the fact that that we tend to speak fewer languages than people from the rest of the world, oh, yeah. given well, where you've lived and your pronunciation of the, the German. Uh, oh, just oh, 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 right. Uh, and well, so I'm guessing the fact you spent some time in France. Uh, yes, 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 you yes. You have some familiarity with one of the local. I do. African I do. Um, I can speak. So my, my native language is English, but in South Africa, um, you always learn other languages. So, um, also in South Africa, um, Afrikaans, Afrikaans, Afrikaans yeah. which is basically, I think, the closest thing to Flemish, you know, mm-hmm. old Dutch Flemish. So that I'm, I'm almost perfectly fluent in. Um, and then, uh, my French is decent. Um, I can understand German pretty well. And I also, um, learned to speak basic Mandarin. So I would say mm, I've got good familiarity with three languages and I could make basic headway through another two. That's excellent. Yeah, mine are, are English and then just a, a, a bit of Spanish and even less than a bit of German. So uh, <sighs> being an accountant, when I try to learn a new language, I try to learn the numbers first. And I find if you know the numbers, that takes you a long ways in uh, uh, rudimentary communication. You are absolutely right. In fact, one of the things with with Mandarin that I learned first were um, the, the the numbers, um, you know, one to ten. And I think I can still count them um, with apologies to any Mandarin speakers. I think I get this right. I think it's yi, er, san, shi, o, liu, ji, ba, jiu, shi. I think that's one to ten <laughs> in Mandarin. So... See, I've just learned something else um, from an accountant. Start with the numbers and everything else falls into place. <laughs> At least from my perspective. Well, Kyle, <laughs> well, thank you for being on the podcast. This was, uh, this was a real treat, and I uh, really appreciate you taking the time. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me along. And there we have it, another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcasting.com stories.com.
www.yourpodcasttheme.com. This podcast is brought to you by Your Podcast Team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.